it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, a.k.a. the Decorous CPG Guy. My domain of expertise revolve around the digital shelf, customer data, insight, CRM, and loyalty. My co-host, he's the Blunt CPG Guy, an expert at branding, direct-to-consumer, unified commerce, retail media, and marketplaces. So please join me in welcoming the man with one name, Shri. Shri, how are you today? Awesome, Peter. Thank you. Week over week, this is a privilege to be doing this show with the audience that we have. And I want to solve the mystery of Blunt. I've been doing e-commerce now for a whole decade. I'm too old and mature to have it any other way. Our journey here and transformation, tell the truth. I'm, I'm with you on that, Shree. I'm absolutely with you on that. We're, uh, by the time this episode airs, we'll be uh, into the new baseball season. The Yankees will all already have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, and the Dodgers will be on their journey to a second consecutive World Series. I think Shree's in complete agreement. 27-plus championships the Yankees has, and he'll celebrate the one that the Dodgers have. Uh, sorry, guys. This is how this is how it goes on this podcast. We, we like to take our barbs at each other up early. Uh, before we get to our guest today, I want to – I think it's five. I, I'm not telling you you have to, but if you do, it's my favorite number. And it's it, maybe it's my birthday. No, it's not. I just I made that up. But for a birthday gift, sometime in October, advanced birthday gift. I'm, I'm okay with that. When the word five and stars come together and they merge, it's something <sighs> better. Oh, it's majestic! It's majestic. All right, so let's get to our guest. Our guests today um, are from the SaaS space. Uh, that's and Shree doesn't like me throwing acronyms without describing them. So SaaS is software as a service. Their API-based taste intelligence solution is marketed as the only real-time personalization AI engine designed for grocers, generating immediate increases in basket size and customer retention. So joining us today from Hala are Spencer Price and Henry Michelson, two of the founders. Spencer, Henry, welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having us. Excellent. Excellent. And before we get started, would you do us a favor? Our audience loves to multitask. So first, can you tell us where people can learn about you online? So what's your URL? And then second, if you could give us a little bit more about what your business is and and before we get into the, the detailed questions. First, if you want to learn about Hala, you can find us online at Hala, that's H-A-L-L-A dot I-O. Or on LinkedIn, where we post plenty of content, keep everyone apprised of our progress. And that's also Hala, the taste intelligence company on LinkedIn. All right. And we'll make sure to have hyperlinks inside. And if you want to give us just a little top line of what your business is before we get to the questions. For sure. I think you nailed it, interestingly enough, in your description. You might have done a better job than I'm about to. But Hala is the taste intelligence company. And really what that means is we enable grocers to predict the personal preferences of their shoppers all in real time. And we do this through a suite of software solutions that are all API based. And as you might imagine, if you understand and can respond to shopper preference, taste, dietary restriction, household habits, all in real time, that enables you to drive highly personalized 
shopping experiences. And that's Hala in a nutshell. That's great. And I know we're going to get into this in a bit, but I'll tell you my personal pet peeve when I'm shopping online is the substitution choices that are made on my behalf. Oh, that's why I, that's why honestly, why I've, why I've deactivated it on most of the grocery platforms that, that I, I leverage. Cause I just, I don't like what their choices are. So I know we're going to get into that in a second. So Sri and I are going to get to the questions. We're going to take turns. I'll start, I'll direct this one at Spencer. Spencer, what were the consumer needs that you all as founders identified as the fundamental value proposition that Hala was going to try and address? That's a great question. And it really boils down to two things. One is the consumer side, of course, consumer needs, but also how the retailers address that and why it might be important or valuable to think about that in a new and different way. So starting on the first, it actually ties back to us, the founders, with our own personal relationships as it pertains to food and not just food service or food retail, because they're blended from a consumer standpoint, food at large. And ultimately, what we were able to align on in the very early days of Hala 2016 is that the three of us, Henry, Gabriel, and I, have very different experiences and relationships as they pertain to food and taste and diet and preference, health goals. And even if we wanted to just find a restaurant to eat at together, we'd talk about it. And of course, after 25 minutes of saying, no, how about this place? No, I don't know. (laughs) You land on one of the same three places that you went to last week. And in our case, of course, that's usually probably one of two, Cheesecake Factory or Chipotle. And (laughs) outside of these, these, you know, highlight unique exceptions to the rule that can accommodate various taste preferences and relationships with food, there, there really is the, there's really a unique opportunity that unfolds when you start to look at how people think about what they want to eat. And at the end of the day, we all have a very different approach, a a root difference in how we think about food. And that's because And I I don't want to speak too much for Henry. He might want to chime in here. I do think of Henry as a very adventurous eater. He wants to try new. He's an inspired type and an inspiring type. And if there's something that you can't pronounce, an ingredient you've never heard of before, he wants to try. Uh, I'm sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, right? I'm I'm an Ashkenazi Jew from LA. I've got every dietary and digestive condition you can imagine. So I've got a huge list of things that I'm restricted from or eliminate, cannot eat. But where that leads me is, of course, to our third and final co-founder, Gabriel, who's very focused on food as fuel, right? It's got the right nutrient content and makeup and you put it on a plate, he's going to eat it no matter what it is. So how do you find a place, let alone a recipe or a set of goods to buy at a grocery store that can accommodate those three different eating types? And for context, we lived together for about two years. So that became a clearer and clearer issue as time went on. Now on the retail side or the the business end of this, where things get really, I'd say interesting is when Amazon acquired Whole Foods in 2017, that of course sent the space into an innovation frenzy at large. But what's extra important that I don't think very many retailers have started to focus on until the last few months, being completely honest, is that Amazon generates over 35% of all of their product sales from personalized recommendations. Those, you click on a phone case and then it says, you may also like a screen protector, a car charger, et cetera. 
And there is no grocer on the planet that generates almost half of their sales from a passive piece of self-learning AI. And we've developed that exact competitive weapon for retailers to have extremely personalized recommendations themselves. That said, personalizations, and let, we're going to jump right into that. So most grocers and, you know, obviously corresponding brands as well were caught off guard by the change that happened with digital retail and e-commerce during the pandemic, which is still not over yet. And now everyone understands that they have to drop huge investments to play catch up and actually have a great proud digital shelf reflective of who they are as a brand, et cetera, when it comes to partnerships with retailers. How does what you do, personalization, play a role in satisfying consumer needs? I'd like to start this by doing kind of a thought experiment, which is, you know, when you're deciding where you want to go and buy groceries, normally you would um, think about which place is closest to you. The distance and proximity of where the store is is very important for you in deciding, you know, do I go to this store or do I go to another? Now, kind of fundamentally, something has changed, which is now that all these grocers are online and they're all equally accessible because it's just from a URL, suddenly that traditional barrier is gone. And our thesis that we're banking on at Hala is that um, the experience of shopping needs to be the weapon that grocers need to use to drive a compelling and sticky experience. And so that means at the very basics, you have to make a good, convenient, robust online grocery shopping experience where you're not getting the wrong products, where you're not buying a rose and then getting rose oil face cream <laughs> as your substitution. You have to start there. But I really believe that, you know, personalization is going to go a lot deeper than just, you know, suggesting products. It's going to use all of the rich attributes that are involved in food. It's going to understand the human decision-making process of putting things together to make a recipe. It's going to take all that together and drive an experience that inspires creativity, that really makes online grocery shopping delightful. And I believe that right now, we're going to see many grocers kind of approaching the Amazon paradigm, you know, the classic e-commerce grocery site. But I do believe over time, they're going to start diverging. And it's going to be largely driven by tech because there's one huge innovation that you now have, which is when you go to a store, they can optimize a store for you know the average person in that area, but it's pretty hard for them to optimize the store for me. But now when I go online on a website, the whole thing can be changed and be dynamic just based on what the consumer ID is. And that is a huge change. And it's going to have to spawn new types of technology, session-based recommendations, recommendations that actually look inside of your current trip, not just at the sum total of everything you've ever done, you know, to really give the next generation experience. Um, but to also, to directly answer your question, I mean, personalization right now plays a fundamental role. Bad personalization has shoppers leave your platform. If you're not getting this, the substitutions that work for you, if your searches don't make sense, if your e-commerce experience isn't working, then you know that's kind of the table stakes now. But I do believe over time, it's only going to become more and more important. And it's about differentiating with your personalization. You know, one of the things that come to mind when you say personalization and 
you just gave the example of the store not having been built for an individual personalization versus mass scale personalization. I think about impulse categories. You know, chips is one of them, chewing gum is another one, but there are several impulse categories. Mint, breath mints could be another one. The one thing that has always racked my brain is as AI and platforms like these come into the digital shopping model and they would they also personalize impulse at the point of purchase. Thoughts, guys? I also believe that part of impulse is that, you know, chips are something that have a very easy schema for how you would use them. You know, you take chips, maybe at a max, you add salsa to them, and then you have a, a snackable thing. That's why it's so good for a for an impulse purchase. And the same way that when you're checking out, there's a candy bar. You really don't put anything onto the candy bar. It's like a self-contained unit, which helps it become an impulse. But um, I'm excited to see also what new things become impulse purchases when everything's done online. When you're about to check out and it says, hey, this meal that you usually make, you haven't bought anything for it. You just want to add everything there to your cart. Suddenly that can become an impulse. You know, where I think we're starting to change the definition of what it is. A lot more things will be impulsible. So Spencer, back to my statement before we started getting into the questions. I'm so disappointed with the substitutions that have been afforded me over the uh, breadth of my e-commerce grocery shopping experience, particularly on the consumable side. You know, I'm, I'm willing to take some substitutions on household cleaning agents and things, but particularly for food products. It's gotten so disappointing that I've just deactivated it on, on my e-commerce platforms. And I can't imagine I'm the only person who's experienced this. What role do you play in helping grocers prevent what we'll call substitution failure? I think it's an excellent question. And, and first, I'd just like to say, I definitely don't blame you. <laughs> Turning them off, disabling them, probably not at all uncommon. And if we had some metrics that we could actually read into there, it'd probably be uh, not very surprising to see just how many shoppers find themselves in the same set of feelings. So there are a, a few factors at play, but to cut to the chase, I think the most important piece when it comes to how Wakala thinks about substitutions is we're really focused on taste. And when we think of taste and talk about taste intelligence, what that means isn't as, as literal or tangible or material as the taste buds on your tongue because taste is so much more than that. It's as roughly as abstract as it sounds, taste intelligence. Really, taste is where we think of desire intersecting with behavior. And that's not something that we think of retailers as modeling historically. We think of CPGs as modeling those sorts of things. And when the retailer is the one that's put in the position of needing to surface an alternative, a substitute to a product that's out of stock, or wasn't able to be found, et cetera, what happens is they are naturally going to have a bias toward their goals as a retailer, which above all else is in merchandising. And that means if they've got private label brands or products that could be substituted or higher margin items, they generally are going to lean in that direction, even if it's less likely that you're going to actually act on the substitution. Where Hala comes in is just to find the best possible substitution given the out-of-stock product in your specific 
behaviors. And really what that means is your intent, right? Are you looking for, if you look for grape tomatoes and it happens to be out of stock, I would argue that tomatoes, maybe even heirloom tomatoes are a better substitution than grapes. But data science is at its core is gonna read into that text without understanding as Henry pointed to a minute ago, what grape tomato means. And at the end of the day, that's where our taste, taste intelligence comes in because what we're trying to do is make sure that we're able to derive meaning out of the user's intent, not just something as simple as what's it say. <laughs> and so ultimately that lands in a, an area of opportunity that we think is really strong and creates much better, more resonant substitutions than for example, surfacing the store brand uh, tissues when they're out of stock on toilet paper, which is something that tends to happen. So that's that's how we tend to look at substitutions. And we do believe that over the coming many months, many more retailers will begin to adopt third-party solutions or uh, this approach themselves, simply because consumers would rather, they, they'd rather make their consumers happy and consumers would rather have any good substitution than just any substitution at all. So that's how Hollow thinks about subs. Thank you for that. Substitutions. Now I will actually actively look out in my next grocery order for substitutions. Uh, so I'd love, you know, with the pandemic, one of the areas for families has been looking into meal kits as a result of meal planning. So I'd love to try and understand how you guys are connected with, in the, through the solution with lifestyle-based food, Habits such as gluten-free, non-GMO, fair trade, and things of that nature. I'd like to start by kind of explaining how we do things and how it's different than what's currently on the market. And then the answer should be kind of self-explanatory in that. Our goal is to build a brain for taste and really to understand and to build an ontology to map real products that exist in a grocery store, to understand them semantically, and to understand the relationships between these products. And an absolutely critical part of that is understanding how they're used, not just how they're purchased. I think a lot of systems right now, they kind of stop where they say, oh, well, these are how products are purchased. We can do that and get some sort of rough correlations. But for us, we said, you know, that's great. That's a great start, but that doesn't go far enough. We need to be able to link the products in the grocery store two actual recipes and menus that use them such that we can understand not just how a product is bought, but how it is used. So for us, we use that more implicitly inside of our engine. We absolutely do allow the ability for someone to uh, put in a diet, for someone to say, hey, I'm on an ADHD diet, and that your whole search substitution and recommendation experience suddenly starts shifting. I believe we're a few years away from dynamic meal planning, which eventually is, is absolutely where we're headed. Right now, we're using that information more implicitly because at a very basic level, it drives a better recommendation experience when you see, okay, well, I can actually take this butter and because I have sugar in my cart, well, we know that you can combine those two to, ba to bake a cake. So suddenly let's start recommending things that could be in a cake mix versus just saying, Oh, well, what gets purchased with butter? Spencer, let's talk a little bit about 
the role of food shopping in what I know is very interesting to Sri, certainly from his time at J&J, which is around preventative health care rather than just treating the condition after it's onset, trying to stave off conditions from occurring. So what is the role of food shopping and how does your solution seek to enable this preventative health care objective? It's a very interesting area for Hala for a number of reasons. And in large part, because we do believe above all else that food can change the entire trajectory of your life. And that's beyond a belief. It's proven at the end of the day. It might sound silly to reference, but all of the cells in your body are going to be different in about a year from now. So what's to say that anything other than what you're consuming is going to be what's rebuilding you and redefining you every day of your life. And the way that Hala likes to think about preventative healthcare, as far as food is concerned, really boils down to each individual user or shopper or consumer and their goals. Because at the end of the day, we think it is imperative that we tease out the specific ambitions based on a given shopper's behavior that it seems that they're striving for, instead of trying to impose a rule-based or parameter-oriented set of healthy directions, because health is very different for different people. And really what that means is for someone like me, who has a set of 19 specific foods that I have to eliminate and can never eat, otherwise I suffer, <laughs> what, what happens is I don't want to have to indicate that every time I go shopping. I don't want to have to plug in 19 foods and filter them out. Not to mention the fact that there isn't an engine on any retailer site that I know of that allows for that. But Hala in the coming many months, will be enabling retailers to do exactly that. So users can not just uh, indicate, but specifically limit what's going to be appearing in each aisle or category that they select and in any search that they generate. So ultimately, I don't want to be seeing anything with those 19 foods. And whether that's through user intent and directed experience is one path forward. But today, it's all just baked into the back end because I never purchase any product that even has that in its ingredients. Any one of those 19 foods, the engine's able to tease that out and respond and make suggested personalized recommendations accordingly. And as and, and that's obviously one type of, of way of looking at health because I'm trying to prevent myself from any further suffering and also make sure that I'm eating the things that are best for me. However, if there's a specific type of of diet or disease or chronic condition, while we do monitor dozens of these various uh, elements and attributes associated with a given product or user behavior, what I would say is, is worth noting is a partnership that Hala has with another company called EatID. And EatID enables us to leverage health intelligence on top of taste intelligence so that we can fit into over a hundred different chronic conditions and diseases as specific as arthritis and ADD, where there are foods that would benefit you. And of course, layering that with taste and knowing what you do and don't like to eat and where you might have other limitations or restrictions, not to mention the 400 plus allergens and sensitivities that are tracked, that those reactivities combined with chronic conditions and diet types all add up to a really holistic view that provides the shopper with the control to make healthier habits over time. 
And I would love to just jump on that real quick and just say that earlier on, we talked about personalization playing a role. Um, I strongly believe that, you know, the grocery industry has learned to solve the problems that it's faced for a long time, given the constraints of actually shipping products into a physical store. I believe that now that the battleground is changing because now grocery is hooked into the tech economy, which is rapidly innovating from voice search to having your website be your grocer now to putting that on a phone app to eventually having, you know, uh, your fridge be able to replenish itself on its own. The battleground is quickly changing. And as Spencer said, with healthcare, this just enables so many new questions that need to have answers. Health is definitely at the top of the list because if we, if we ate healthier slash even as a prerequisite, if we were able to define health to the individual, which is a very important and tough uh, prerequisite question, um, and really change the world. Henry, if we're going to have meaningful personalization, and that's a lot of my background, I spent four years working at Dunhumby on Kroger and, and three at CVS, um, making those register receipts as long as possible. You need to have a very effective decision algorithm. So what are, from your perspective, the essential value and complexity elements that will make a decision engine deliver the best personalization? I would start by saying you need to understand the battleground that you're playing in. Because before it used to be maybe just after a purchase, you're then making a prediction, which then might be acted on or might not be, but it might be acted on at some point in the future. Now that's changing now because suddenly, let's say you have a recommender system that's hooked into your website. Well, now it gets to see everything that's been recommended, everything that you've clicked on, and that is real-time feedback. So the starting thing for your decision algorithm is, you know, there's like classic collaborative filtering algorithms, which are pretty good when you're giving them a lot of data and you're asking them, you know, maybe to, or using a clustering algorithm to segment different consumers into different groups. That That's good for the typical constraints that faced a brick and mortar store. But I strongly believe that as tech goes inside the grocery store, session-based recommender systems are going to become very important. So what I mean by that is some type of system that's able to take real-time input in, and particularly a time series. So that means a bunch of ordered events that are happening very quickly. And they're able to use that information to then deliver hyper-tuned recommendations for that individual at that given time. So for example, there's been a new advent uh, in recommender systems using deep learning for recommendations. Now, deep learning is a pretty incredible type of technology because instead of manually putting in the rules and manually putting in the human heuristics that we as a species have learned over the past 50 years, we're letting the computer figure it out on its own from data. And specifically, there is a type of deep learning system called the recurrent neural network that is very good at understanding patterns in large amounts of time series data. So I would say that like that is definitely an important approach, but that's kind of the decision engine. But I do just want to stress that at Hollow, 
that's definitely a huge part of our focus. But any engine's only as good as the data that you put into it. <laughs> and for us, we've spent an unbelievable amount of time building an ontology. It's This has been the thing that's been going for us for about four years and two months now, mapping together how humans think about food. So that obviously is typical hierarchy, which you could kind of get from a grocer, you know, knowing that a fruit is a type of produce. But you also need to understand that there's 226 different types of human differentiable rice. You know, if while there's thousands of potential skews, they really map to one of those things. Um, so if, at the beginning, it's about understanding the semantics of the data that you have. It's about getting a rich feed, the data that you might get from your POS system. You know, the product labels are super dirty. You often don't get ingredients or nutrients. And to be honest, a lot of these systems, there's a bunch of great players that provide product data, but it's usually limited sets of products and everyone just has a little bit of the information. So what I would say in coupling your decision engine, you really need to build out a natural language processing engine, which can start to aggregate data over many, 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 many sources to then be able to extract the best kind of ground truth for each thing. And that gives you a great, rich set of training data, which you can then go and train your real-time models with. Before I hand it over to Shri to ask the last question, I'll just make a comment. I think about this concept of real-time session-based personalization. The closest we got to that in the brick-and-mortar world were the old Catalina coupons that rolled out at the register. And the problem was that, of course... It couldn't affect that transaction. The best it could do is influence a future transaction, assuming somebody remembered that they had the coupon uh, and that they didn't just crumple it up and put it in the bottom of the bag that got folded up and thrown out into the recycling bin when they were done with it. So I think we have come a long way. And we, my background in brick and mortar was always focused on the longitudinal personalization uh, but it seems now that with the digital shelf and all of this, we now have the ability, availability to do meaningful session-based personalization. That's phenomenal. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it first plays in e-commerce. You know, that's kind of the, that's the, where we're first testing the use cases. But there's companies like Caper, uh, Caper AI that do smart shopping carts. There's companies that do scan and go technology. There's companies that are doing digital ads in the grocery store that um, in the freezer aisles. So sorry to cut you off, Peter. I'm just very excited about this topic. Suddenly the whole store will be digital and it'll be changing for you. Speaking of uh, the store format changing, et cetera, I recently believe you all have put out a um, blog post that connects Spotify to grocers. Can you do two things for us? One, if our audience wants to find that blog post connecting Spotify and grocery, where would they do that? And could you demystify for us what's actually in that blog post and how the two come together? Absolutely. You can find the post on LinkedIn or on our site. And our site, again, is hala, H-A-L-L-A dot I-O. And on LinkedIn, it's called What Grocers Can Learn from Spotify, either on my page, Spencer Price, or on the Hala Company page. The I'm really glad you brought this up, actually, because it's something I'm personally passionate about. And frankly, I'm a big fan of Spotify as a user. 
And I know I mentioned earlier, Amazon's personalization is quite effective generating 35% of all their product sales. But what I didn't touch on is that Spotify actually does even more impressive work when it comes to personalization. They've got a catalog that makes that, that really makes uh, Amazon pale in comparison because it's digital content. They've got tens and tens of millions of unique songs and that grows every single day. And of those tens and tens of millions of unique songs, they're able to generate over two thirds of all of their streams based on algorithmically generated recommendations. And my personalized recommendations have only gotten better and better over time as they should. And that's because the way Spotify approaches things is not just rooted in one of the many different approaches Henry laid out earlier on this podcast. What, what we're speaking to here is rather than trying to focus on folks that listen to X also listen to Y or customers who bought A also bought B. That's classic collaborative filtering. Then there's a different level or layer of collaborative filtering. People like you who listened to X listened to Y and you haven't listened to Y, so let's show you why. But then there's a content-based approach. So actually zooming in on the category or what it is that you're suggesting to your users itself in Spotify's case, music. And as you might imagine, there's a lot of very measurable and easily understandable variables there, but they're actually breaking down every single song into hundreds of different abstract subcomponents from instrumentation and arrangement. Again, measurable to things that sound much more subjective, but play a really critical role in the music experience like danceability. And across these different elements, what they're able to do is layer that with all the other algorithmic approaches that they're going to take along the lines of collaborative filtering. And together you have what we'd look at as probably closer to an ensemble learning approach to power really personalized music recommendations. And the reason that this is so important for grocers to understand is because by taking a domain specific approach, zooming in on your vertical goods in the supermarket, what you're able to do is actually have a very similar breakout of all these various subcomponents at an abstract level. And we don't expect grocers to do that themselves. That's why we encourage them to reach out to Hala. But at the end of the day, we're monitoring things that you could think of as parallels to instrumentation and arrangement like taste and texture. And then those things that get a bit more subjective like danceability also parallel over to things like spicy, right? The level of spice of the given good. So there are lots of good learnings and parallels, despite the fact that it's digital streamable content versus physical consumable goods, because you're able to actually monitor attributes and characteristics that are scalar and different for different people, not just specific to one good, because there are so many rules and parameters set around it. And that is the unique value that Spotify can bring to a learning conversation in any grocery product team, UX team personalization team, e-commerce, you name it. I think Spotify is a good example to take after. Well, at the CPG Guys podcast, we are big fans of Spotify. They are the second most popular platform among all the listeners in our audience. So we are happy to know that Spotify is contributing to a, uh, a better music experience and can teach grocers how to create a better customer shopping experience that our content, be it our various series on e-commerce profitability, women's leadership, retailers or founders, including an episode like this, all that content 
It's very inexpensive. In fact, it's free. Just go to cpgguys.com and you can find that and you can find things like our favorite podcast that we listen to when we're not recording our own podcast in any event. We also want your feedback. We want you to help drive the direction of this podcast, what we talk about, who we talk to. Best way to do that, ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys, leave a rating. And most importantly, I like my five-star rating, but Shree and I both love the review because it tells us what you want to hear more about. So make sure to go there, ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. Spencer, Henry, this has been a really great conversation. We're going to put a link to your site and to the, specifically the blog post and the liner notes that we publish. So if you're listening to this episode, you don't have to go look it up. Just open up the podcast, click on the description of this episode, and you'll see the hyperlinks there. So thank you so much for joining us. This was very educational. I know our audience is going to like this a lot. Thanks so much for having us. This was a blast. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you all. And Shri, uh, I don't know about you. I thought we had another really great educational podcast to teach people about how technology can enable the customer experience for the better. AI and technology and personalized shopping, always a fun conversation. Absolutely. So thanks to our audience for joining us. And we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.